Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello and welcome, Daisy Buchanan, the author and journalist. Thanks so much for coming in. Hello. I want to call you Deliciously Stella. It all sound like a formal fool. Hi there, Deliciously Stella, but I will call you Bella. Hello, Bella. Thank you for having me. Oh, anytime. So this episode of Deliciously Stella on the job is going to be all about what it's like to be a writer. So have you always wanted to be a writer? I think I have. I definitely toyed with... When I was a kid, I was really fat and I was bullied a lot and I had no friends. I spent quite a lot of time in my head thinking about, you know, my wonderful and glittering future. For, so that's um, my excuse, my extreme childhood egotism. But yeah, definitely, I suppose, you know, just making up stories, even um, the really nerdy writing I loved when I was younger, you know, sort of history essays, anything to sort of get my teeth into. And it just seemed to be the place where I always made the most sense. And I think that's it. I'd be a bit weird and off-putting in person, but then I'd write something down, and people are like, "Yes, I like the writing." And I suppose that sort of yeah. led me in that direction. It is my greatest shame in life that I didn't take history GCSE, and it means that I don't know anything at all, and it's so embarrassing. Did you do geography? Did you do the colouring in one? I did Latin. Well, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So I did Latin. I think I got an A. So I wasn't. I wasn't, I wasn't terrible. And I bet Latin comes up a lot all the time, mm. and there's you know an inscription on something or it's in um, Only Connect and you're like yes I know this and you feel like the cleverest person in the world which you probably are Yeah, my parents actually tried to teach me Latin because they both did it at school and they thought it was the worst thing in the world that we didn't get taught it and that was like the shame of parents evenings was they would you know basically harangue every single teacher like, it's a shame there's no Latin well I do PE I wouldn't know um, and then I broke my leg when I was 11 and it's quite a dramatic um, fracture and it took some time to heal so I was like immobile I couldn't run away and they used that time to try to teach me Latin um, we used to have this amazing Latin teacher who had really really long hair and when she turned around people used to cut it oh my god we were absolute horrors how, how long are we talking? I mean so long like past the bum long and did she not notice them? <laughs> I don't think so. What did people do with that? Did you do it? I didn't do it. I was better than that. So did people come with scissors for fun to see how much hair they could get? Was it a competition? Did you measure it afterwards? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People used to love it. They used to just stuff, stuff it in envelopes, got a little bit of a keepsake. 
So weird. I did know a kid when I did um, musical theatre briefly as, as a hobby. Um, <laughs> oh God, bless him. Um, I mean, he was adorable, but he was um, a nerd like me, and he had a big. He had kind of Napoleon Dynamite hair. It's very, very curly, very ginger, very, very full. And somebody set fire to it on the bus, and it was <gasps> a full five minutes before he noticed. Well, oh I think someone else noticed before him and patted him out. But just imagine having so much hair that you don't realise when it's a flame. Somebody set his hair on fire. So back to back to topic. Did you study journalism? No, I did an English literature degree, mm-hmm. um, but I did a lot of student journalism, and that was really fun. I think what I wanted to do, I knew that journalism, as I imagined it, was you know going and being really hard hitting, and you start in like a local newsroom and break these amazing stories, and that wasn't quite what. I wanted to do, and I read a lot of features writing in newspapers and magazines, but from a really early age, my parents weren't big magazine people, but they'd always get the Sunday supplements, God, this is middle class, yeah. um, <laughs> but you know, so I'd read the things that fell out of the, the Times and the Telegraph, and you know, think, this is what I want to do, because sometimes I would read things that were really, really just funny or silly, and also I think totally informed my image of, you know, what I dreamed of, you know, I'd go to London, I was going to have a um, a full length like black leather trench coat. It was the style of the time. Oh my God, amazing! And, um, so, where did you start out? You started out at Bliss magazine. Was that your first? Job? Yes, I was an intern at Bliss. I was um, immediately after I graduated. To be honest, I didn't apply for journalism straight away. I'd done these sort of bits and pieces and lots of kind of very fun features um, for the student paper. I yeah. was um, on music for a bit and then um, bar and restaurant where I pissed about and I really went off brief and rather than do the sort of yes I'm going and you know to review a restaurant like a regular person I did a, a made up KFC one for Valentine's Day and just really silly things like that um everyone else on that paper they just seem to be but you know and I love them they're brilliant and you know some of them are just doing absolutely amazing fantastic things now they're really really talented but they did all you know we chat and they'd be like so I've got this this internship and um it's my auntie's at the independent and so she's arranged me to do this thing and I was just like fuck I don't have any aunties that are useful or you know I can't do I I wouldn't know where to begin like if I were to do an internship in the holidays I don't really know anyone in London and it's all in London and where will I stay and like this world is just beyond my reach and then I was convinced I was going to do badly in my degree and I did better than I thought I was going to do um hooray (laughs) flukily um that happened so I'd taken a job before I graduated because I thought well if I tell them I'm you know expected to do all right it'll be fine and it's PR and there is some writing in PR um, and I will be doing press releases and I will find a way of being creative just like I did at the bar and restaurants that was a lie I lied to myself I lied to the people who offered me the job it was miserable and horrible and dreadful and I got fired after about eight months and a very kind we're letting you go um well you can just tell people that you're an intern we'll give you a reference but we really want you out of the building as soon as possible so I went home with my tail between my legs moved back in mum and dad worked at the same call center I worked in in my gap yard and obviously there's no like I'm failing I'm regressing (laughs) did a whole degree and here I am back again um but while I was doing that at home I was applying for Every single stupid, like, tiny internship I couldn't at the time. I had a boyfriend who lived in London, and I was just mm. thinking, I will figure it out. 
basically I was on the point of taking a job um, for a magazine and they seemed really nice. They had, they had a gym benefit and it would have been a kind of, oh, earning more money lovely. than I would have been PR. But it was um, basically about um, facilities management in the office. So I'd be writing about, you know, filing cabinets, new phone systems. When I got a call from the editor at Bliss where I'd had an interview for an internship saying, I'd like you to come in. And it was a real, do I take a job with a, a salary and a gym benefit and all these fun things that would make me a proper grown-up or do I take a job where I'm writing about the Jonas Brothers and earning I think I was earning like 20 quid a day to pay for my train for that and that was um really unusual to get an internship that sort of paid anything and it wasn't just like I think that sounds like the dream oh it was and honestly the first year I pretty much like rolled out of bed singing every morning and I had to because I was staying with this boyfriend who lived in West London and I had to get to the office in Tunbridge Wells so it's like a two hour commute so it was good to start positive. Um, It was heaven, it was just so, I love that so many silly things were taken so seriously but it was really serious as well. I felt very, very, very proud of the work I did there and the work we all did because I loved writing for that audience. What was funny was, and I think I can say this now that Bliss is sadly no more, Mm. um, we were writing for an imaginary 16-year-old girl that didn't really exist. Basically, everybody who read Bliss was 12, but wanted to believe that they were cool and that they were reading the magazine read by, you know, exciting older teenagers who were obviously reading Cosmopolitan if they were reading anything at all. And this is when they were still reading magazines. So to set this tone of writing for this person that doesn't really exist while writing for your readers I think was a really fun exciting challenge so you've got a really good way I think of writing for young women like I think it's amazing how did that sort of come about like you're now you're an agony aunt you've done all sorts of things like this to be honest I think it, it started at bliss and I think it really helped knowing that and sometimes we would get people coming in who would write for what they thought a teenager would want to hear. And it was just really tonally off, like, you know, someone pretending to be a cool aunt. Like, what are you mm. doing? No. And I think I felt so strongly that all of the things I was writing about, and, you know, you're obviously not saying you can't talk about, you know, hangovers or, you know, career disasters, but, you know, the school, boyfriends and girlfriends, friendships, confidence. God, I love doing confidence features. I still do. And I remember thinking, I want this for me. Why is there no... I mean, there, obviously there are, you know, really great magazines that tackle it really well. And I think that since I was at Bliss, that content has really sort of come on in leaps and bounds. And mm. I think that, you know, there's a stronger idea of who that reader is. But needing the magazine that's not massively aspirational and isn't saying, well, you know, when you walk around your million-pound house and, you know... You're, buying all these fancy things and living this way and just speaking to that person and saying I know what you're afraid of I know you're worried that people are going to find you out and you're worried about having good friends and being a good friend and all these very fundamental things I think we never stop being teenagers and when I wrote my book plug 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 Plug, um, plug, plug. which is out in April tell me about the book it's called how to be a grown-up that's really what I was thinking is it's a bliss for slightly older yeah. hopefully you know much older readers all the things that our teenage selves needed to hear and that we need to hear now and God, I don't have any answers um, other than the fact that I have made so many hilarious stupid mistakes and nothing has actually killed me yet and I think because I also grew up feeling very very 
pressured and frightened of, of not being perfect. Even when I was a, a terrible Poindexter nerd, mm. I felt that I had to excel on every platform. And I think that's really common, especially for women. I think we are, and we don't act unless we've got everything absolutely right. You know, we're not, we're told to not kind of be daring or have a go. We're like very, you know, be polished and to be, and be unseen. And I think we don't hear enough that tells us we're we're good enough as we are and that, you know, we should just laugh yeah. and have fun. And that's, I think, all I, you know, really want to supply. Like, if the book had a subtitle, um, it does have a subtitle, um, which will be, it's to be confirmed. But <laughs> my subtitle of choice would be like, you're all right. <laughs> don't <laughs> worry. Right. It's fine. It's all going to be okay. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now... I need to talk about one of my favourite things that you do, which is your Made in Chelsea column in the debrief, which I am absolutely obsessed with. Now, you're an expert oh, on Made in Chelsea. thank you. How did you become an expert on Made in Chelsea? How does this happen? Well, one thing that is really, really hilarious is a couple of years ago, um, a woman got in touch on Twitter um, to say that I think she's doing her MA in maybe overall it's like film and tv and she was writing about reality tv and um at the time i was the only person to have published a book on the subject at all because there was a like an ebook of my um some of my made in chelsea reviews out there so yeah by just dint of finding my niche the nichiest niche i was the expert i was like such a in great her niche. Sources, which such is a great niche. just you know a joy it made me very very happy um I was a fan. Um, I remember seeing the adverts of the show and thinking, oh my God, I'm going to hate this. These like terrible, <laughs> privileged, whiny people. And then watched the very first one with um, the people I was living with at the time, my old housemates. And, you know, we took the piss and had a lovely time. I was tweeting merrily along. And it was back in the days when Twitter was just quite jolly for the most part. Mm. You didn't sort of say anything without, you know, tens of people leaping on you being like, you're wrong. And you're fat, and you can't say this. Oh my god, Um, those trolls. I got told I was so annoying yesterday that someone wanted to punch me in the throat. Oh my god! Yeah, I was like, oh, that's nice. I mean, it's unbelievable how common that is. And I know we say it a lot, but you just would not do it to anyone you saw in the street. It's just, what gives people the... I, I don't know what has made people so uncivil, and that's a really weak word for the horrible, horrible thing to hear, but... God, what a dick. I'm sorry that happened. What a dick. Back to Maiden Chelsea. Back to, Back to Chelsea. Um, so, tweeting cheerfully. At the time, I was doing a lot of um, writing for a website called Sabotage Times. Mm-hmm. This was in the last year of Bliss. I started doing it because I was trying to look for other work, knowing that, basically, I wasn't going to progress at Bliss or earn any more money until, um, you know, somebody left or died and that was not going to happen it was a tiny team I was doing loads but you know budgets were just being cut and cut and cut and I was just so you know aware that 
once you've been somewhere for kind of more than a couple of years it's a long time and it's good to, to progress and also I just wanted to earn more money so applied for jobs everywhere I didn't even get like emails back sometimes I get sort of the standard thank you for your application um the one that really stung was I applied for a job with our biggest rivals um sugar Oh, yeah. And I was like, Love clearly, sugar. you know, if I'm going to go anywhere, it's, you know, this is a logical place. And I don't think I heard anything back. And I just thought, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? Whole of shame, swallow me up. I mean, in the meantime, I have now met and befriended the truly lovely and amazing woman. Hi, Corinne. Um, <laughs> he's actually a vet now. Um, Corinne Redfern is, um, she's up for some amazing humanitarian journalist award and she's been at Marie Claire and she's done tons of like amazing things with refugees. She's a really, really talented journalist and writer. She's brilliant. But she was my opposite number and she'd been kind of interning for that job for a year. So she totally deserved it. But it's so weird now, like comparing our experiences and the spooky similarities. I mean, Sugar was cooler because it was in London and it was Mm. um, like a very stylish publishers um, that do lots of exciting glossy magazines and we did like the panini sticker albums <laughs> that was our other <laughs> uh, so yeah so I was writing for sabotage times for free to build a portfolio and to just prove that I had some experience beyond writing for teenagers because and I remember thinking that was unfair that everyone's like well you know how do we know you could write for an adult audience I'm like, I think writing for teenagers is actually harder than what you do. So, yeah, but obviously that does not get you jobs. So anyway, doing this, and I was writing lots, and I was kind of experimenting a bit, and having been quite, you know, teenage-friendly, for about three pieces, I thought, yeah, I'm going to, like, write myself sexy. I'm going to be that sort of cool, you know, girl about town. Girl about town. Racy, you know, sexploit things. And obviously convincing no one and sounding like a bit of a bellend. Um... And then realised, actually, if I'm going to write and be funny, the best thing I can do is to just throw myself under the bus. So, yeah, the, one of the editors at Sabotage said, do you want to write about this? Obviously still not getting paid. But I was just so, you know, flattered and joyful that somebody actually wanted me to yeah. do it. And I was like, sure. And I thought it was really, 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 really fun. And I was doing it alongside my day job. And I didn't have access to, like, any previews then. So... I was just um, taking tons of notes, watching it live, and then doing it on the bus, getting up at six o'clock to sort of file so it'd be kind of ready in time. And yeah, every week there was a sort of a flicker of, I noticed like maybe five people were reading it and leaving like lovely comments and having these sort of really intense chats about what's going on. And then that number sort of grew and grew and grew. And um, since then it's um, it was in the mirror for a little bit and now it's at the debrief which um so i think it's um it's ideal home i'm very happy i just love there. it i find it so so funny i'm obsessed with the show and i really shouldn't be because i was at school with some of the people in it oh who um, you say or do, will that color my judgment no 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 that's fine i think i was at school with um rosie forsky and louise thompson oh god that's i feel really awful in the early ones i used to really go for rosie i mean she was very much a kind of a fun sponge <laughs> back in the day she'd be like in every episode so what's going on with you i hear things are shit (laughs) (laughs) come on who's your favorite character oh that's a good question um i have a lot of love for ollie Locke. i'm really glad to see him back the weird thing about this show is i think so many people love it and appreciate it in different ways and either kind of live the drama or live for the, the sheer silliness of it and it's um weird that no you know career wise i'm not sure anyone cared but i was at list for so long I do I'm really I had such a lovely time there and I think I really did learn a lot of stuff I think if I'd just been like let loose you know pissing about and sort of 
crafting my own columns and you know without any working with editors and working to really strict deadlines I think I would not be you know able to do what I do in the way that I do it now yeah but then you know when I get hired for other things they're like we like Made in Chelsea so do you want to write this harrowing piece about bullying <laughs> sure what's your favorite kind of article to write oh that's a really good question um this is going to sound really bad off the top of my head I would say one where I can be um I can write jokes that requires very little in my research <laughs> I do um, I've got a couple of um magazine pieces that I'm doing at the moment and having longer deadlines and anything that's kind of more involved I just I feel so much dread and anxiety I've just got so much more time to worry about it and Mm. I probably don't spend any more time writing it I just spend more time worrying and worrying and worrying because it feels like it's a big deal and I'm gonna get it wrong but if someone says can you file this in an hour two hours it's a bit like sitting an exam and I think well this is the best I can do under the circumstances so you know whatever happens I met the deadline and that was the main Mm. thing so there's just less time for me to freak out about it which is occasionally I do and it's lovely and you get a commission in you're you know I am joyful for moments like hurrah money to live and um also you know it's always nice to be wanted and you know when you've worked on someone and you know they've had a brilliant idea and I think this is the sort of piece I'd like to read so I'm excited about writing it and then I think oh my god (laughs) and I always do it because I think my terror of not doing it is just always slightly bigger and has Mm. the edge on my terror of doing it so finally what is the number one piece of advice you would give to someone who wants to become a writer I think I'm going to try and be for just do one piece and not go off on a tangent I think the first thing is to just do it I think what I've just said, writing can be frightening and I think we're capable of making it into a really big thing in our heads. That's why I did not even try to get a writing job um, first off because I was like, no, achieving your dreams, that doesn't happen to people like me. I'll just do the safe thing and the safe thing was was not quite right. So I think, you know, just, you know, sit, sit and do. Um, but with that, and this is where I'm sneaking in some other advice, to mm. know it really does take quite a lot of what sometimes people ask me for advice and basically they're saying they want me to kind of distill what's taken me nearly 10 years into a paragraph they can kind of go off and use and be you know doing what I'm doing tomorrow and I yeah so I think you know to be to be patient also sorry this is annoying as well I think it is really good to find a job where there's writing to do even if it's quite tedious um, I have a friend who's now um, a very successful writer and he spent a horrible, horrible, hideous year. I think he was like on a website writing descriptions of cars, not even like fun descriptions, mm. just, you know, and it has a two-litre engine. It's just, and it was a really grim place to work. And I think not that anyone should make themselves miserable, um, but also there is enormous value in the getting the discipline right first. God, this is going to sound pretentious and awful, but... I think of Picasso learning to paint formally before he could paint in his Picasso way. So to just, you know, to keep at it. And also people will ask you to change things and do it differently. And it's horrible because writing is so personal and you do. Yeah, I've had work edited before and been quite upset. And sometimes it's often it's about length. um, And I think the more writing you do, the less precious you get about it. And I Mm. think that's important um and also I've been at a place where 
probably shouldn't say it for legal reasons, I might get into trouble, but there's a like a really, 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 really high profile, legendary feminist writer who was commissioned to do something, did something different, and um, you know, the piece was not anything close to the brief. Um, the editor said, Can you do what I asked you to do, please? And yeah. had edits and things, and um, the famous feminist sort of said, No, I won't do it. So I, and I just I find that really really comforting because whenever I get tons of ads back from an editor, I'm like, oh, they hate me! I'll never work again. They think I'm terrible. But I'm like, hey, if X had that, I can just you know get on it and do it and be be humble. And I think it's that mix of I think really believing in yourself and what you have to offer and not being you know not kind of betraying it, but also knowing there's that you know, Devil Wears Prada, millions of girls or guys or whoever, you know, there's, you really do have to be a mix of, I think, very, 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 very good and nice to work with and polite and file on time. Always deliver on time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, one, one piece, Daisy, one. <laughs> <laughs> so much advice. Thank you so much, Daisy. Thanks so much for coming in and talking to me. It's been really, really fun. Thank you for being so nice. Thank you very much. That's all for this week. Don't forget that you can find me on Instagram at deliciouslystella or you can drop me an email at deliciouslystella at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. See you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. See you next time. 